be sure to follow us on Instagram at criminalafpod or click on the link in the episode description. Leonard Lake and Charles Eng devised a plan to build a bunker where they could keep women they had kidnapped to use in any way they wanted, which they called the Miranda Project. The idea derived from the book The Collector and its antagonist, Miranda Gray. They didn't just stop there. Anyone who got in their way of finding the perfect Miranda would suffer an unspeakable death, and some were even ground into chicken feed. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Gary Gorder. And this is Criminal as Fuck. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal AF. You already know I'm Dave Jari, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Garrett Quarter. How we doing? How we doing? So I just want to make a correction from last episode. And, you know, when we're wrong, I will admit we were wrong. Uh, so in the Genesee River Killer, we were discussing how Shawcross was able to basically go under the radar of the police after being released from prison from the rapes and murders of the children. You know, and we had some pretty strong opinion. Yeah, of course. Pretty strong opinions. Like we always do. Yeah. And uh, what I failed to include was that the judge who oversaw the release of Shawcross sealed his documents pertaining to Jack Blake and Karen Hill because he didn't want the community to panic that there was a serial killer that was being set free. So police at the time of uh, Shawcross's later murders of the, of the women, uh, they had no idea about his past. And the whole time we were like, why? Yeah, these, How did fuck, they, these, these guys dumbass suck. fucking cops. Yeah. <laughs> Keystone cops. They, they had no clue that there was a <laughs> maniac living in yeah, their place. So, you know, we, we just wanted to throw that little correction out there. What a shitty move by the judge, huh? I know. But on a positive note, we have not one, not two, possibly three. No. We have six. Criminal shout-outs this week. Six? Six of them. Jesus, you guys fucking rock, man. My mind's Holy fucking blown. Six? They are Paul Haas, Jenny Crawford, Cy Clark, Alicia Knight, Terry Burke Wallen, and Brandy Brody. You all rock, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you all. Thank you all. We really appreciate it. And you're making it, You're all you guys signing up and becoming criminals... It's just getting us one step closer to seeing Jari in compromising positions through <laughs> Polaroids, baby. A <laughs> hundred, I'm telling you right now. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> All right, you can become a criminal as well by joining our amazing supporters at patreon.com backslash criminal AF. Or you can buy us a coffee like our friends Pickle Jenny and Beth did. Thank you so much. And we're awful thirsty, just so you know. So buy me a coffee is for those who would like to show us their love without all of the commitment and marriage questions at your family's Christmas dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> links to our Patreon at Buy Me a Coffee are in the episode description. There you go. And speaking of Christmas, Merry fucking Christmas, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, Merry fucking Christmas. I got, know. Yeah, got, make sure you guys, we got our Criminal AF debauchery sweatshirts on. Welcome to the debauchery. Welcome to the debauchery. It will be vulgar. So, how, uh, you ready? You ready yeah, for Christmas? Do or it. like what? Three days away? Oof. Yeah, no, I'm not even close. Um, I'm going out. <laughs> you're that, Christmas you're Eve. that last minute guy. Yeah, I have a Christmas Eve uh, get together with my with my sons, and I still have to get some stuff. Now, because you just brought up about the family's disagreements. Worst Christmas story that you've ever had uh, during a family get together? Like the worst thing that happened? Any any good juicy juiciness? People worst? fighting? No, no fights? No. I. Don't remember the worst, but I remember the best. What was the best? The best was. Oh, I love dysfunctional oh, no, family wait, stories. Wait, They're no. so good. They're so good. No, wait. I'm sorry. This wasn't Christmas. This was Thanksgiving. 
Does it count? Yeah, sure. So it was, it was after Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we had we were at my grandma's house, and we had to get all of our Christmas stuff out of the attic. And I was the one that was assigned to hold the ladder. So my dad went up first. He was up, actually up in the attic. My uncle was at the top of the ladder passing stuff down to me, which yeah. I was right there. Now, my face was in the general vicinity of my uncle's ass. You no. know, standing there. Oh, <laughs> and my uncle just went, like right in my fucking face, right? And all of a sudden, out of the corner, like around the way, you hear my mom, David! <laughs> like, she started freaking the fuck out on me because she thought you ripped ass. And my father and my uncle were like up there, like busting their, they, you know, just crying, laughing. Yeah, you would think they would save me, you know, protect, you know. Being, no, it wasn't him. Nope, they were just like they threw me. your ass right yeah. under the bus. That's yeah. great. So I'm getting berated by my mother for farting at Thanksgiving. So my, uh, for me, God, I, I would have to say the day my cousin punched my dad in the face. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Everybody was, all right, it was Christmas Eve, yeah. long time ago. I was young. I was probably like 12, 13 or whatever. And my dad, so we were in Florida because my family, had, I have a lot of family in Florida. We were visiting them. And yeah. there was a huge get together for Christmas Eve. Yeah. And because I know this, we were in Florida because he was outside smoking a cigarette. And he doesn't even smoke. Never has smoked his whole life. But he was so fucked up off of your dad, not oh, yet, yeah. that he's sitting there. And him and my cousin, who was a female, mm. was were beefing the whole day, like just little shit, little shit. And they all, as the night went on, they were getting more, more and more tipsy. My dad was sitting there drunk, smoking a cigarette, and he, he was, he said something. I don't even remember what it is, and she fucking lost it, punched him dead in the face, and then threw a full drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh that my god! But that was the Christmas. That was the Christmas I remember the best. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a wild one. <laughs> Top three Christmas songs. Top three Christmas Christmas carols. Christmas carols. I can tell you my fucking the. I can tell you the one I hate the most. Which one? I'll give you my three. The one I hate the most by far is "Here Comes Santa Bo- Santa Claus" by Elvis Presley. <laughs> I fucking hate that song. I hate that song, and I don't care if you guys fucking love Elvis. He's an icon. Whatever you want to say. It's not. It's so stupid. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not an Elvis Presley fan. Never have. You don't like Blue, blue Christmas? Blue, blue Christmas is okay, but even that is... <laughs> and I know I'm going to get hate for this. I mean, he's an icon. It's, he's an icon. Yeah, you like little 14-year-old girls, too, dude. I don't want to like... Uh, oh, no. Yeah, real iconic. Yeah. Um. All right, top three. My, my favorite one is... Uh, oh, God. Number one song. Yeah. By far, this Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Okay, love that's my. It's got soul to it, right? Yep. It's like yeah, yeah. fires burning, blazing high. <laughs> We're caroling through the night. <laughs> uh, two, Feliz Navidad. Yeah, it's a great one. Right. Um, and three. Santa Baby. Come on. Santa I, Baby. And the original Santa Baby. Yeah. I get bricked up every time I hear that song. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, yeah, let's go. I get bricked up every time I hear You're that like, song. You're like, let's kill you. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I don't know if I have a three. I mean, they all pretty much fall in the same category for me. Mm-hmm. But if there is one, and this is a, a more traditional song, it's Ave Maria. Oh, God. But... <laughs> 
But <laughs> there's no way you put on. You're going to the store, right? Yeah. You're, you're gonna go and you're gonna get last minute Christmas shopping. Yep. You're gonna not putting on Ave Maria 100%. while you go and drive to the 100%, store. Yes. You are a, you are a psychopath. But you are officially a serial killer. I I swear. I've said this before. But there's only one version of it. If, I will, I if like. people start disappearing around this area, you just <laughs> you solidified it, Dave. I've always said you would be the. Pr- you're gonna be chopping people up. <laughs> Listen to Ave Maria. This fucking. But there's only, there's only one version I like of it, and that's the Josh Groban version. Yeah, Josh Groban is good. Yeah, yeah. His Christmas album was pretty good. Like this is gonna. I'm, I don't know, but I'm just gonna say it. That version of Ave Maria, I cry every single time I hear. Oh God, no. I do. It's so like powerful. It's like very. It, it like digs right into your heart. And it's actually going to be played at my funeral. Later. No, it's it is a it's a good song. It's it a, a good, good song. song. It is a good song. All right, so one Ave Maria. Yeah, number two, We Three Kings. Sing it. We Three Kings. Uh, I don't even know the words. Uh, the drummer boy. No, no. not the drummer <laughs> boy. <laughs> we Three Kings, That one. I just ma- I think I mixed three songs together. Yeah, right you did. We okay. just did. All right, We the Kings. All right, number yeah. three, last one. The Hanukkah song from Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. Oh, yes, come on! I didn't even think. I didn't even think about that. I, even, I was going like in my head. I was going traditional. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a, amazing. Yeah, the Hanukkah song's great. I just watched uh, Eight Crazy Nights. Oh, you? Yeah, with the kids for the first time. They loved it. Also, guys, you know, leave us a comment. Post on the Patreon board to yeah. our Patreons. Post on, tell us your favorite top three Christmas movies, top three Christmas songs. We want to hear from you. Or, uh, or ones that you hate. Yeah, and or yeah, give us yeah. a real yeah, hate. Yeah. and give us. You know what? Yeah, give spill us some tea. Let's hear yeah, about. I want to hear an embarrassing family Christmas story from you guys too, <laughs> please, because I fucking love them. I love them. Yeah, and on IG, go go on IG or Twitter and yeah, uh, let us. I don't even know wherever. Find let, us somewhere. Let and us tell know us. your. Uh, your worst Christmas family gathering stories. Debauchery. The debauchery of Christmas. <laughs> so, all right. For those who are joining us for the first time, you, you just heard all about our Christmases. Uh, this is a true crime podcast. There will be talk of murder, rape, torture, assault, and pretty much any crime that would haunt you nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events, and there will be some vulgar language. Like pussy. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, the word pussy is in my notes. No way. It is in my notes. Oh, okay. Yep. All it actually right. is. So, yes, you are correct. <laughs> the word pussy will be said in this movie. In this, uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. <laughs> the word pussy will be heard in this episode. All right. We understand that criminal AF is not for everyone, but we just ask that you at least give it a listen. And if it's not for you, hey. See ya. Thanks for checking it out. But if it is... Welcome to the debauchery. You know, speaking of the Christmas theme going on, yes, yes, yes. in this uh, episode, mm-hmm. you know where the worst place to celebrate Christmas is? <laughs> the worst. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, huh? Yeah. Florida. <laughs> and I don't care, all you Floridians out there, it sucks. You go down there, especially if you're from the north. Oh, yeah. It doesn't. You can't put Christmas lights on palm trees and make it feel like Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I don't mean to shit on Florida. It's a fucking. There's some amazing, nice. Florida is nice, beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful. But it's, every time I go into Florida, I've had a, a fantastic time. Me too. Me too. You Love. Well, because you're standing out of the middle of Florida, right? Because <laughs> I'm doing all the touristy shit. Yeah. But but it's true though. You can't put Christmas lights on palm trees and yeah. call it Christmas. It just looks weird to me. <laughs> We're gonna dive into two Christmassy, Christmassy, Florida man's. <laughs> 
kick off this Florida Man special when a man was arrested for having public sex with a dog, damaging a church nativity scene. Jesus wouldn't like that very much. (laughs) A Florida man was arrested after he had sex with a dog in front of families, wrecked a nativity scene at a nearby church, and attempted to steal a vehicle. Jesus Christ. (laughs) You just committed like 19 sins right there. He's definitely going to hell. (laughs) Chad Mason, 36, was arrested Sunday on several charges, including sexual activity with an animal, exposing sexual organs, and criminal mischief to to a place of worship. What is wrong with you? Like... I think the best part about this is the the, 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 the yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's like that's the equivalent of shitters full, but like <laughs> but twisted, full. but twisted. <laughs> hey bud, what are you doing? <laughs> oh man, that that's that's disgusting. The sad thing, he was playing one of the three wise men. No, I'm just kidding. He, wasn't. he thought he thought it was a goat. Yeah. Oh, it makes yeah. total sense now. They shouldn't punish yeah. this man. He was looking for the mirror. <laughs> All right, Mason knew the owner of the Golden Doodle dog. It oh, was... it was a Golden Doodle, <laughs> yeah. man. It was taking it out for a walk in an apartment complex on the 2600 block of McMullen Booth Road around 4.30 p.m. on Sunday. He then began having sex with the dog in front of multiple adults and a child who was under the age of 16. Oh, oh. One of the adult witnesses confronted Mason, who then fled the scene to Northwood Presbyterian Church. He entered the church and proceeded to knock over a nativity scene that was on display. He broke several potted plants and threw children's toys from the playground area. Oh, Jesus. Take that! Oh, this is fucking going through creative fucking... He was, he was, di- he was dip- <laughs> dipping stuff down so he could try to get away. That's what he was doing. He was running... <laughs> Mason's actions resulted in an estimated $400 in damage to the church, according to officials. Well, at least he didn't do too much damage. Oh, yeah, I mean, 400 bucks. Take that right out of freaking. I, think, I don't even think he committed a felony at that point, right? Yeah. Isn't it 500 it plus? Is. Yeah. He, he just squeaked through. Yeah. He then left the church and went to an adjacent neighborhood where he destroyed a mailbox, which is federal. Oh, that's he's done. And there attempted to steal a car. Officers were then able to take him into custody and book him into the Pinellas County Jail. Mason has since been released on bond, and he will appear in court later this month. Oh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, puppy. <laughs> Come here. Don't do it. You're making it real. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I wonder if there was, like, mistletoe hanging over him. Oh, no. <laughs> Imagine that. I come over and I'm like, hey, Garrett, you want to let me take your dog for a walk? No, you fucking weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what do you got? All right. I have Florida man reportedly threw Christmas tree at wife because she asked him to help with dinner. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Studies show that women shoulder the bulk of effort when it comes to the holidays. And for one woman this Christmas season turned into a spectacle simply because she dared ask her husband for help. The nerve. Richard Daniel Atkinson, 52, reportedly threw a Christmas tree at his long-suffering wife after she asked for help with the cooking. Atkinson has since been arrested on felony charges, including violation of injunction, false imprisonment, and domestic battery. Here's what happened. Atkinson's wife was reportedly making dinner in their home in Fruitland, Florida. What a great name for a city, huh? 
when she asked her husband for help, which made him angry. The wife also accidentally got him wet after dropping a spoon in the sink, making him even more angrier. At this point, the man said he was going to pack up and leave the house. Jesus. Instead of leaving, the man decided he was going to stay, and his wife should be the one to leave. According to reports, when she attempted to leave the house, he prevented her using physical force. The shaken woman went back in, sat down with a friend who was visiting. Oh my god, he this did This happened it. in front of a friend? Jesus Christ, could you imagine that one? Like, uh, <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> went back, uh, the shaken woman went back and sat down with the friend who was visiting, and Atkinson picked up the Christmas tree, breaking it in the process, and launched it towards the kitchen. Jesus Christ. Atkinson reportedly threw part of the tree at his wife, striking her when she tried to escape and hide from him in the bedroom. He followed and tried to get in. He was still shouting at her when the police arrived, according to the report obtained by Daily Mail. For asking to help with dinner. He's the type of guy that you know, like, is like in. The, he's on like one of those old 1970s recliners. Charlene, Charlene, give me another one of them beers. That garlic better be sliced thin, or I'm gonna stick it to you. <laughs> so you know, this is like a daily thing. Like, yeah, yeah, she's definitely a better woman for sure, Ugh. for sure. And uh, you know, oh, yeah, it's. it's Merry Christmas to everybody out yeah, there. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> what a great, yes. happy holidays. Hopefully, you know, hopefully she gets out of the situation. Jesus. She moves on, contacts like a victim's advocate. And, you know, we don't we don't condone any domestic violence in this. Uh, Fuck no. I would have shoved the tree up the dude's uh, ass. I know. Fuck I, you. Yeah, I, I bet you the friend was a female because if, if, if the right guy was there, that guy wouldn't have been nope. doing too hot. Nope. Because guy, people like that, as soon as there's yeah. another alpha dog around. Yeah, like, yeah. Making noises like that dog <laughs> <laughs> oh, come oh. on. <laughs> All right, get to the story, since you're... <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a trip back in time to California in the year 1985. Oh, yeah, that's what you got. Right, yeah. Keep going. I was, gonna, I was setting the ambiance. Yeah, okay. Now, 1985 was the same year that the RMS Titanic was found in the icy depths of the Atlantic Ocean. As well as the door that Rose selfishly hogged all to herself. <laughs> hey, Rose, guess what? Good, that was good. There was room for Jack, damn it. There was. Yeah. There was. Selfish. So anyway, so let's get settled into the trusty studio chloroform time machine. Punch in our coordinates. California, 1985. And off we go. And did you know that uh, the day in Ferris Bueller's day off? Was actually June fifth, nineteen eighty-five. I love that movie. And now you know. Love that movie. All right, so Microsoft Windows one point oh debuted in nineteen eighty-five, and the very first game on the system was called Reversi, which was an Othello-type game that wasn't very popular with the users at the time because it was virtually impossible to beat. <laughs> but they still put it through until. Uh, Update 3.0. They kept it in there. Wow. So, yeah. Queen's iconic performance occurred during Live Aid at Wembley Stadium, later oh. voted the greatest live performance in the history of rock. I would I would say that 100%. Yeah. Live Aid was amazing. Amazing. I, I still watch that, that on YouTube sometimes. Yeah. Like, even now. The bloodline of Abraham Lincoln ended in December of 1985 when the last undisputed descendant, Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwith, died without having children. Interesting. So no more relatives. No more relatives. He couldn't, he couldn't keep the bloodline going, dude. You gotta, you know, at you least gotta put try. one kid out. You gotta try. Yeah, I don't know. So New Coke replaced the original formula, and it was a disaster. After three months, Coca-Cola brought back the original formula and renamed it Coke Classic, although New Coke still remained on the market until 1992. 
Wow, didn't know that. Uh, I do remember New Coke, and it was fucking disgusting. Really? <laughs> it was awful. I wonder what they did. I don't I know. What, the 80s were weird because like, they got away with a lot of weird, putting weird stuff in food. And yeah. Like, like, well, I know, I know like, even the original or the classic Coke that they call now, because the original Coke had actual sugar. Yeah. Like real sugar. And then cane, they, cane sugar or whatever. Yeah, and then they came out with the new Coke, and I don't know what the fuck they did with it, but it was disgusting. This is going to blow your mind. Dentists still use uranium in dental porcelains because it helped give the teeth a natural color. That makes sense. Uranium. Uh, I don't want to. Do we create a nuclear weapon uh, uh, or we do fill we the teeth fill cavities. the teeth cavities? I'm pretty uh, sure, though, uranium is not radioactive until a certain point. You have to do something to it. Mm. So I think I, I'm sure it sounds crazy, but I think right. there's there's some there's some science behind that. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. I know. Don't quote me because I'll get called out for it. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure you're saying <laughs> The mayors of Carthage and Rome met to formally end the Third Punic Wars 2,131 years after it started. <laughs> oh, remember we're still in that? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Bring over the document. We'll sign yeah. it. <laughs> Meet in the town square. Here we go. Uh, Germany passed legislation in 1985 that made it illegal to deny the existence of the Holocaust. I love that. So good on Germany. I love that. Hey, it's really relevant to what's going on around yeah. nowadays. Yep. Uh, the plastic thingy that is placed in the middle of a pizza was invented in 1985 by Carmela Vital. Genius. Now, a book that many people would recognize was published in 1985 titled A Handsmaid Tale. Oh, good. Written That's by cool. Margaret Atwood. An interesting situation came about in 1985. A man by the name of Roberto Hernandez was jailed for a robbery he didn't commit. Authorities confused him with another man because they shared the same name, same birthday, same weight, same height, same brown hair and eyes, and the same fucking tattoo on their left arm. No way. There's That's too... No. Yep. Uh, that, the coincidence is there. The only thing that was different was their social security number, and that was only one digit different. Wow. Yes. That's a one in a I wonder if they were lost at chance. birth. That's a like, one in a million chance right there. Yeah. That's crazy. That's what happened. In music, popular songs of 1985 were Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Don't Su you Studio by Phil Collins. Forget about me. I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. I Want to Know What Love Is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not singing that high. Oh. Yeah, you can, though. <laughs> I want you to show. <laughs> uh, say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. I don't even know. I never remember that song. Say You. Oh, and I'm not doing it. No, <laughs> no you almost did it. You know, I almost got you to it without even realizing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Keep going. And The Timeless, Take On Me by Aha. Take on me. Take on me. Take on me. I'm done. I'm done. Look, you which is which is actually now a TikTok trend. Yeah, it's funny how like they're bringing it up. They're like, "Oh, I heard that song on TikTok." Oh, no, come on, dude. Yeah. It's funny. There was a, a Post Malone song which came out. You know, a lot of kids nowadays. You know, millennials, Gen Z, Z's, Gen Z's, whatever they are. You know, they followed Post Malone, and it was uh, had a guest performance on the song by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. And the people on like TikTok and Twitter and like all the young kids were like, "Oh." He's gonna make that Ozzy Osbourne famous just by being on this song. And <laughs> yeah, I like, remember. bro, I remember. Ozzy's been around for decades. Yep. Uh, anyways, the song "We Built This City" by Starship was voted the worst song of 1985. 
we built this city. I, I don't like that song. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 if it's on, it's on. Yeah. But it's I, it's not the best song ever. Mm-hmm. That's actually that's that's a valid uh that's a valid that's a valid vote. Yeah. Uh, in movies, Back to the Future, Rambo Two, oh, so Rocky Four, Oh, so good, The Color Purple, The Goonies, and Spies Like Us all appeared in theaters. Damn, there were some good movies that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, average price for a new house in 1985 was 89330 New house. Brand new. Yeah, that's crazy. Average income was 22100 a year. Gas was $1.09 per gallon. And a new car, fresh off the lot, cost $9,000. The population of California in 1985 was 26365000 with cases of violent crime at 210000 of which there were 11,421 rapes, 86,000 robberies, 101,000 aggravated assaults, and 2,770 murders, including some of the ones we will discuss today. Leonard Lake and Charles Ng committed 11 to 13 murders in a two-year span, possibly up to 25, in an attempt to find a sex slave they could completely control. Nobody was safe from these two, including the baby of one of their victims, who Ng was reported to have placed in an oven and cooked the child while still alive. Let's get into this horrific episode with Chapter 1. Number 1. I must always be ready to serve my master. I must be clean, brushed, and made up with my cell needs. Number 2. I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look my master in the eye, but must keep my eyes downcast. Number three, I must never show my disrespect, either verbally or silent. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists. And unless eating, I must always keep my lips parted. Number four, I must be obedient completely in all things. I must obey immediately and without question or comment. Number five, I must always be quiet when locked in my cell. And number six, I must remember and obey any additional rules told to me. I must understand any disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused by me to my master will be grounds for punishment. The Collector. A book written in 1963 by John Foles is about a young man named Frederick Clegg who works as a clerk in a city hall and is obsessed with collecting butterflies. He is socially inept, so making new friends or finding a love interest is next to impossible. That is, until he crosses paths with an art student named Miranda Gray. He admires her from a distance, however, as his introversion prevents him from sparking up any form of intelligible conversation. Frederick eventually comes into a substantial amount of money, quits his job as a clerk, and purchases an isolated home in the countryside. Lonely and consumed with his obsession for Miranda, Frederick decides that in order to bring her into his life, he will have to add her to his collection, with the hopes that she will fall in love with him over time. He goes through a series of preparations, and when the time is right, he kidnaps Miranda by drugging her with chloroform and he locks her in the basement of his house. When she awakens, she obviously isn't too happy with her predicament. Frederick clearly did not anticipate this reaction and vows he will not rape her but will show her every respect, shower her with gifts, and after a month, he will let her go, under one condition. She cannot leave the basement. Miranda makes several attempts to escape, but Frederick is always there to stop her. 
She contemplates ways to kill him and even tries to seduce him into letting her go, to no avail. Miranda makes one final attempt at freedom, and after she is caught, she falls ill and dies. Frederick is devastated to the point he wants to end his life, but comes across a diary Miranda had written and reads countless entries of how she despises him and will never love him. Frederick comes to the realization that he is better off without Miranda and buries her in the backyard, but he still yearns for love. He decides he will kidnap another girl. The Collector has been referenced in many venues of entertainment. Stephen King refers to it in two of his books, The Dark Tower and Misery. The Fisher King, a two-part episode for the show Criminal Minds, bears resemblance to this book, and the song Prosthetics by the band Slipknot can be construed as a first-person account by Frederick himself. Of course, this is just fantasy. For the vast majority of us, the line between reality and fantasy is well-defined. For the rest, their lives are clouded by it. One person in particular used the Collector as a blueprint, and with the help of his ex-wife and a subservient friend, he was able to join his fantasy with reality, which he dubbed the Miranda Project. Unlike the book, though, his Mirandas would not be showered with gifts and love, but torture, rape, and murder. On June 2, 1985, police received a call for a shoplifting incident at a San Francisco hardware store. The suspect, described as an Asian male, had walked out of the store with a vice, placed it in the trunk of a car, and when confronted, took off running. When police arrived and were speaking to the store manager, another man approached them and tried explaining that it was all a misunderstanding. The Asian man assumed that he was going to pay for the vice. Police began searching the still-open trunk of the Honda Prelude, where they discovered the vice, and upon further inspection, a 22 caliber pistol with a silencer. Now, the attention was on him. He provided his license, identifying himself as Robert Stapley, 26, from San Francisco. The problem was, the police were looking at a balding, portly, older man well into his 30s. Searching for other viable identification, they found a credit card belonging to a man named Randy Johnson. Police also ran the plate in the prelude. It was registered to a man named Lonnie Bond, and the information showed the plates were for a Buick, not a Honda. The man was taken into custody for further questioning, as things weren't adding up for the police. Now they had to figure out who the car belonged to. They ran the vehicle identification number through the Department of Motor Vehicle, and it was discovered that the prelude belonged to a man named Paul Costner. Police now had a mystery man with a stolen license, stolen credit card, stolen plates, and a stolen car, along with a pistol with an attached silencer. Police began to question the man, and he denied any wrongdoing. Finally, he agreed to write a statement but first, he wanted a glass of water. An officer returned with the water and left the room as detectives were trying to track the whereabouts of Stapley, Johnson, Bond, and Costner. Shortly after, the man was found convulsing on the floor, 
He was transferred to the hospital and died four days later. Fingerprints discovered that his real name was Leonard Lake and his Asian accomplice, who would flee for Canada and would eventually be involved in the longest and most expensive criminal trial ever in the state of California, was named Charles Ng. So we meet the two men later to be known as Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, who we can say is subservient to Lake, but has psychotic tendencies in his own right. At the time, he arguably became Lake's perfect partner for the Miranda Project to be successful, but we see it was his carelessness that thankfully led to their end. Um, Lake was obsessed with creating the perfect woman who was 100% compliant. He would refer to his Mirandas as off-shelf lovers, meaning that he could take them off a shelf, use them as he pleased, and then put her back when he was done, or throw her away, aka kill her, when he was tired of her. Now, imagine me telling you this, okay? Now, I want to keep a stockpile of women to be brutalized as I saw fit. And then when I'm done with them, I'm going to kill them. What would you say to that? Uh, You're an absolute psychopath. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, uh, what? What the fuck? Yeah. You're Um, you're a fucking nut job. Yeah. They definitely are two peas in a pod. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because. Yeah, because he was like, Charles Ng was like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I don't care if you're my best friend in the entire world. If you came up to me and said, hey, um, I have, like, four women, like, tied up in my basement. And- yeah. You, you know what's you know funny? It's a tie back to our one of our previous stories that we did, but mm. the Cheshire murders, right? Yeah. Karma Sarjewski never told Stephen Hayes his true intentions what the that plan day. Was, right? Like, he knew. Yeah. But he knew. He's like, if I say I want to, I want to, you know, rape this 12-year-old, rape this 12-year-old girl, yeah. he might back out. Right. This guy was just flat up honest with them from the beginning. They're yeah. like, yeah, dude. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm doing. Yep. Fucking weirdo. All right. But the two alt-right misogynists, they wanted to create an off-the-radar sex complex, but they need money and resources. So they scam and murder their way to getting what they need. And they would intentionally find people who look like them, and they would kill them, and they would steal their identity and belongings and then bury their bodies. Uh, this would include people that are very close to Leonard Lake, as you know, we'll soon talk about. Bunch of incel dweebs <laughs> yeah. that just have never been loved in their life, and yeah. they're like, I want to make a sex doll, a real-life sex doll. <laughs> it sounds like such a... It's not, it's just a, such a in, deep corner internet incel oh, yeah. thing to do. It was like dark web shit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, who wants to join my fucking yeah. s- sex sleeve? Oh, you party? never had a girlfriend? Oh, I never had a girlfriend. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Yeah, let's go kidnap some women. It's, it's sad. It's... Yeah. So we'll go into who each of these men actually were and how they met in order to create such devastation uh, in chapter two. Leonard Lake was born in San Francisco, California in October of 1945. When he turned six, his parents divorced, and he and his sisters and brother were sent to live with their grandparents. Lake developed perverse sexual fantasies and obsession for pornography at a young age. Although I can't find any evidence stating this, one has to presume that Lake suffered from molestation, as children don't typically develop this type of perverse fantasy so early in life. The next part will enforce my presumption. Seeing that Lake had this interest, his grandmother would encourage Lake to take photos of his sisters in the nude. He would later use these photos to blackmail his sisters to perform sexual acts on him. 
If this type of behavior wasn't abnormal enough, Blake would collect mice, place them in acid, and watch them die. When he graduated high school in 1966, Blake joined the Marines and would serve two tours in Vietnam as a non-combat radio operator and would be diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder after having a delusional breakdown in Da Nang. He would be given psychiatric treatment for two years at Camp Pendleton and received a medical discharge. Upon his release, he enrolled at San Jose State University, but only stayed for one semester after he found refuge amongst the hippie community in San Francisco. He was briefly married in 1975, but the marriage dissolved after his wife found out he was directing and appearing in low-budget bonded pornography that included the use of shackles, handcuffs, and leather straps. Lake then moved to a commune in Northern California for eight years where he would openly speak and act upon his sadistic sexual fantasies. This is where he met his second wife in 1981, Clara Lynn Belays, who went by the name of Cricket. She was into this lifestyle as well. More sexually adventurous than he, she would take part in role-playing fantasies and even appeared in many of his bondage films, as well as participating in polygamous relationships. Their marriage wouldn't last, however. Cricket was dominant in the bedroom and grew tired of Lake's lack of confidence that she wanted to participate in free love. Though they divorced, they would remain very close, as you will hear later on. Charles Zhang, born in British Hong Kong in 1960, was severely disciplined and abused by his father. He would tell Eng that he loved him as he was being beaten, which left a psychological impression on Eng that tied both love and punishment together. He was a loner growing up and found it difficult to make friends as he would delve into violent behavior, martial arts, and set fires to cars and schools. When Eng was 15, he was sent to a boarding school in England after being arrested for shoplifting. He would last only a semester as he was caught stealing from other students. He would briefly return to Hong Kong before being granted a student visa to attend school in the United States. He studied biology at the College of Notre Dame in California until he was involved in a hit-and-run accident. To avoid prosecution, he went to enlist in the Marine Corps but didn't have the appropriate paperwork. To much debate, it is speculated that his recruiter had forged the papers so he could enlist. Eng yearned for a place to fit in, and he tried to find that with the Marines, but he was the problem from the start. He would regularly ignore commands from his officers who would tell people he was a ninja warrior who will kill anyone within an instant. His past as a thief didn't stay dormant for long either. In 1979, he stole high-powered military weapons, including three automatic machine guns, seven revolvers, a night sighting scope, and three grenade launchers. As expected, Eng was arrested in order to speak to a psychologist prior to trial. In his sessions, he would brag about being an assassin, poisoning the salt shakers on base, and even claimed to fire a grenade launcher at a sergeant, but it had jammed. Fearing he would be convicted, he deserted the military. It was around this time that Eng was flipping through a survivalist magazine when he saw an ad placed by Leonard Lake. They communicated for some time and discovered that they both shared beliefs in doomsday theories, nuclear war, and the survivalist lifestyle. For Eng, Lake was the father figure that he so desperately missed from his childhood. He wouldn't find a loving bond, however, 
as Lake would encourage his deviant side. They talked in depth about building a survivalist commune in which there would be a fallout bunker. Upon Eng's desertion in 1981, he would travel to Leonard and Cricket's farm that cemented a dangerous and lethal relationship. You wouldn't by any means call Charles Eng a good person, but as bad as he was, Leonard Lake was doubly perverse. Yeah. So as we talked about, Lake was encouraged to photograph and have sexual relations with his sisters. And when they became older and knew that what was happening was obviously wrong, uh, he would remind the girls of the pornographic photographs that he had to coerce them into having sex with him, continue to have sex with him. Uh, he would continue this obsession with hardcore porn and bondage into his married life as his first wife uh, left him because because of this. Like, if there's a hilarious moment in any of this, it was when his second wife, Cricket, left him because he wasn't freaky enough. I know. <laughs> Dude, that tells you. <laughs> Cricket was probably wild. Yeah. Like, she was like a... Like, she thought he was a dud in the bedroom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, after... Oh, my yeah. God. Could you imagine, though, like... He comes home from working all day. He's like, puts his bag on the table. He's like, ah, oh, I just want to chill. Gets in the and she comes out in a fucking leather gag yeah. and like, what are we doing? Yeah, what what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh god, <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. like he portrays himself as this like seasoned hardcore oh, sexual man. deviant, and Cricket's like, nah, bro, you ain't shit. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> wait, wait, where's the line? You know what I mean? Cricket, she can do all that. She just, she's just in it for the love of the game. <laughs> so, you know, like, fuck it, I love that. Like, knock him down a few inches, you know, like, go cry in your corner, you little bitch. Oh, you know, yeah, she, she probably did good dominatrix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Charles, Charles Zang, he, you know, he wasn't much better. Like, so let's try to break this down a little bit. So Lake was Cricket's submissive, obviously, you know, because he wasn't pulling his fucking weight in the bedroom. And Eng was Lake's subordinate. Mm-hmm. So that makes Aang the lowest of the low mm-hmm. on the pecking order of their three-way BDSM. <laughs> their love triangle. <laughs> we talk about this so much on the show, too. Let's add two more crazy serial killers to the list of Vietnam vets. <laughs> Join them. It, it seemed, like, they yeah. all did. How many serial... We, we, I mean, we looked it up last episode. Yeah, it was like 30, 30 something. We'll just, I'm going to start keeping their service photos, photos behind up, me. Yeah, yeah we're going to yeah. put it up. <laughs> So here's something to think about here is that Lake would portray himself as a photographer and invited women to their complex in the Sierra Nevadas that he thought would make a good Miranda for his, pro- for his project. Now, as a woman, or basically anybody in general, like you wouldn't go to a stranger's secluded complex in the mountains alone. Mm-hmm. You know? So you'd bring someone along with you, you know, a friend, boyfriend, husband, maybe even your kids. You know? yeah. So Lake and Aang would get rid of anyone that wouldn't serve their direct purpose. Yeah. So, meaning everyone must die except for their Miranda. Like, everyone. Especially the children. So, we'll go into more of the carnage that Lake and Eng created in Chapter 3. Aside from pornography, Lake and Eng had a hobby of collecting fully automatic weapons, and they didn't care how they got a hold of them. In 1982, the FBI arrested both Lake and Ang on weapons charges. Lake paid the $6,000 bail, and Ang was sentenced to Leavenworth Prison for three years. Lake and Cricket fled to a remote ranch owned by her parents in Wilseyville, California. It was to be their retirement home, but Lake and Cricket quickly made it their own. 
Lake, failing to appear in court for his weapons arrest, began to feel the heat. He needed to do something in order to continue evading the authorities. He would call upon his brother, Donald Lake, and Donald's best friend, Charlie Gunner, but not in the way you would expect. Donald and Charlie were last seen by Lake's mother in July of 1983. It is believed Lake killed his brother in order to collect on his wealth, and he killed Gunner to steal his identity. From here on out, Lake would now be known to those around him as Charlie Gunner, and he would begin to build his bunker with the money he stole from his brother. Construction began upon the release of Ang. He joined Lake and Cricket on their ranch and quickly became entangled in their sexual relationship as Cricket would swap between the two. Not long after, Lake and Cricket split, and as stated before, they would remain close and remain living together. The bunker, originally planned as a fallout shelter, soon became known as the dungeon, as Lake would dive deeper into brutal sexual fantasy as he recalled the book he had read years before, The Collector. He and Eng devised a plan for the Miranda Project, but first, they would need a way to document their project. In July of 1984, Harvey Dubs placed an ad in a newspaper to lease out his video equipment. On the 25th, Harvey, his wife Debbie, and their 18-month-old son Sean went missing along with their video equipment. Lake and Eng used their video camera to record their deaths, but first, Harvey and young Sean were forced to witness the rape and murder of Debbie, who was tortured so brutally she died during her rape. It is believed Eng took Sean and placed him into a lobster pot filled with water and boiled the boy while still alive inside of a stove. This is a cartoon that shows an Asian individual, and he has a child by the legs, and it appears that what he's doing is he's cooking this child. Harvey was then murdered, and all three were buried in the backyard. Lake would describe his intentions of the Miranda Project on the very video camera he stole from the dubs. Good evening. It's a Sunday in October, very close to my 38th birthday. And I'm starting this tape without script or without any real organization of what I want to say. But I do feel a need to explain. What I want is an off-the-shelf sex partner. I want to be able to use a woman whenever and however I want. And when I'm tired or bored or not interested, I simply want to put her away, lock her up in a little room, get her out of my sight, out of my life. Slave. There's no way around it. Primarily a sexual slave, but nonetheless a physical slave as well. Kathleen Allen was an 18-year-old high school student who was working part-time in a supermarket. How she came to cross paths with Lake and Ng was through her boyfriend, Mike Carroll. Carroll and Ng were in Leavenworth together, and since his release, he conspired with Lake and Ng on several shady deals. Carroll was also into torture, sadistic sexual fantasies, and he found pleasure in watching people die. It is believed that he was present during the Dubs family murder, although he didn't participate. He just watched. Kathleen was lured to the ranch after receiving a phone call that Mike had been shot and needed help. 
Mike was already dead, though, by the hands of Lake and Eng. She would soon find herself in front of the camera. Is nice as we can to you within the limits of keeping you prisoner. If you don't go along with this, we'll probably take you in the bed, tie you down, rape you, shoot you, and bury you. Sorry, lady. Time's up. Thank you, Trace. Tell me why you're here. While you're here, we'll keep you busy. You'll wash for us, you'll clean for us, cook for us, you'll cook for us. That's your choice in a nutshell. It's not much of a choice. Unless you've got catfish. Lake would tell her that he would put a bullet through her head, just like Mike, if she didn't willingly participate in an orgy. Eventually, Lake grew tired of Kathleen, and rather than put her away, they killed her. Meanwhile, Lake's neighbors were growing weary on him, especially Brenda O'Connor and her husband Lonnie. Brenda had a feeling some strange happenings were occurring and expressed her concern to Lonnie that she believed she saw Lake dragging a body across the property. She also complained that Lake and Aang would follow her, which made her extremely uncomfortable. Lonnie asked his friend, Robin Stapley, to come stay with them for a while for added protection. It all came to a head one day in May of 1985 when Lake was caught staring at Brenda and Lonnie and Robin confronted him. A huge blowout ensued, but Robin pulled Lonnie away before it escalated further. That night was the last time anyone saw Robin, Brenda, Lonnie, and their infant son Lonnie Jr. alive. As with the Dubs family, Robin, Lonnie, and Lonnie Jr. were forced to watch the rape and torture of Brenda before being dragged to another room and eventually murdered. They led Brenda to believe that they were still alive. Why are you doing this? Because we hate you. Yeah. Your baby is going to take, be taken away. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, you're taken away. <sighs> There's a family down in that doesn't have a baby. You're not taking my baby. Except the baby's dead, right? They got one now. That's my baby. Her baby is sound asleep, like a rock. Uh, you don't like it, but I'd like me to put it in writing. After being raped repeatedly for a number of days, Brenda suffered the same fate as Kathleen. We hear we hear so many sick, twisted stories here, and, and that Debbie, that poor woman, had to she was being raped while her son was was probably in the same room being boiled in a lobster pot. Eighteen months old. 18 months is not a baby that doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. That kid was screaming out for fucking pain and, mm-hmm. and could talk. They can t- 18 months old can talk. It's, that is the t- most twisted thing about the story. It's fucking sadistic. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's not, that's not a, that's not a sex. At that point, it's not a sexual fantasy. You did that because you're just psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. Sadistic. Fucking, you're sadistic. You just, you're. A, you're creating as much fucking uh, horror for the person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're getting off. Yeah. That wasn't, it wasn't to kill the kid and see the kid die. It was to scare the shit out of the mom. I mean, she, her heart probably stopped. Yeah. You know? It's fucking... I, oh, my God. I couldn't even imagine. It's sickening. I have a thing here. Uh, true crime author Don Lasseter, uh, he covers the case of the Miranda Project in his book titled Die For Me, uh, rehashing all the chilling details of what became one of California's most heinous crimes. I'm going to read an excerpt from his book, which talks about 18-year-old Kathy Allen, who we discussed in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, she was murdered just two months 
prior to the authorities when they came in contact with uh, Lake and Ang at the at the store. Uh, I'll leave a link to this book in the episode description, but it's a little lengthy, so bear with me. On April 12, 1985, her boyfriend, Mike, disappeared without a trace, leaving Kathy worried about the state of their relationship and eventually his life. When an anonymous caller informed her that Mike had been shot, she immediately rushed to rescue him, per the caller's suggestion, only to find herself trapped in Charles Ang and Leonard Lake's Dungeon of Horrors. That same Sunday evening, James Bayo, who described himself as a very good friend of Kathy Allen, answered his phone and could barely make out her worried voice. Kathy told Bayo about the troublesome call that she had at the store, but whispered that she couldn't talk much at the moment because there was someone in her hotel room at the Best Inn. She sounded like she was in a hurry and said she couldn't talk to me. Probing his memory about the mysterious conversation, Bayo could still hear Kathy's words about a man who had arrived to pick her up and take her to Mike, but the guy was a bit weird, and he talked about wanting to take pictures of her. James Bayo asked Kathy to call when she arrived at her destination, and Kathy promised that she would. A few hours later, though, Kathleen Allen found herself in a terrifying circumstance, unable to telephone anyone in the outside world. A video camera recorded segments of her nightmarish predicament. As the tiny red light on the camcorder blinked, Kathy sat in a well-worn brown fabric recliner chair, her legs crossed. She wore a white jersey with red short sleeves, dark pants, and black shoes. Handcuffs bound her wrists together behind her back. She sat perfectly still with a numb expression on her face, saying nothing, perhaps in a state of shock, or possibly unable to comprehend the extent of her danger. At her right, a table lamp bathed the room in a soft amber glow, illuminating the wall behind her, covered with a photographic mural depicting the flaming colors of a forest in autumn. From behind the camera, the voice of Leonard Lake filled the room. Mike owes us, he said, a hint of threat in his words. He can't pay. Now we're going to have to give you a choice, Kathy. And this is probably the last choice that we're going to give you. You can go along with us. You can cooperate. You can do everything we tell you to do willingly. And in approximately 30 days, we will either drug you, blindfold you, or in some way or other make sure you don't know where you are and where you're going and take you back to the city and let you go. And what you say at that time, I don't care. My name you don't know. Lake made reference to another man who emerged from shadows in the dimly lit room. A short black-haired Asian dressed in dark colors. Lake, wearing a tan-knit sweater, entered camera range, knelt to adjust the bonds on her ankles, and moved back out of sight. Alternately threatening in firm tones, then softly conjoling. Switching from the bad guy to the good guy, then back again. Lake said, You don't know where you are, and what you say hopefully can't hurt us, and by then, hopefully, Mike will have disappeared gracefully. Obviously, I'm telling you this because we'll have no control over what you say and how you say it once you're gone. If you don't cooperate with us, if you don't agree this evening, right now, to cooperate with us, We'll probably put a round through your head and take you out and bury you in the same area we buried Mike. Kathy's facial expression remained frozen, even though she had just heard devastating news about her lover. We'll do this, Blake continued, just because we're, we admit it, scared, nervous. We never plan on fucking up, much less getting caught, and we're not intending to get caught. It's a little crude, but uh, that's where it's at. While you're here, you'll give us information on Mike in terms of his brother, his bank accounts, who we need to write to to make things correct. 
We'll probably have you write some letters to the guy, his foster brother, telling him some bullshit story about how you and Mike have uh, moved off to Timbuktu, and he's got a job doing this and that and doing something else. And basically, we want to phase Mike off, just sort of move him over to the horizon and uh, let people know that, yeah, Mike moved off to God knows where, and we never hear from him again. While you're here, we'll keep you busy. You'll wash for us, you'll clean for us, cook for us, you'll fuck for us. That's your choice in a nutshell. It's not much of a choice, unless you've got a death wish. Sorry, lady. Time's up. Make your choice. This all brings us to that day on June 2nd, when everything fell apart for Lake and Ang at the hardware store. As you recall, Ang fled the scene, and Lake was found convulsing on the floor. As he promised in one of his videos... Lake would never be taken alive. He had a cyanide pill sewn into the sleeve of his shirt. When the officer brought him the glass of water and left the room, Lake swallowed the cyanide. Through their subsequent investigation, police learned of the real horror that had been created by the hands of Lake and Eng. 39-year-old Paul Costner was last seen going on a test ride in his Honda Prelude with a large man fitting the description of Lake. 34-year-old Randy Johnson was last known to be visiting him in order to sell his van. Donald Giuletti, 38, a popular San Francisco disc jockey, answered an ad in a sex tabloid. His roommate positively identified Ang as the person Donald met that night. Clifford Peronto, 24, vanished after winning $400 in a Super Bowl pool from a bar frequented by Lake and Ang. 25-year-old Jeff Gerald, a drummer with a traveling band, made the mistake of helping Ang move furniture, never to be seen again. There was also 26-year-old Cheryl Okoro and 38-year-old Maurice Walk, both residents of the Pink Palace rooming house. They received an invitation to visit the farm and then vanished. The list goes on. After searching the property and viewing the videotapes, which included several males and females of all ages, bound and forced to watch orgies and rapes before being raped themselves, it is believed that the aftershock of Lake and Eng's rampage could possibly exceed 25 people, as more than 40 pounds of bone fragments were recovered from the property. Remember Cricket? Where was she when all this was happening? She was right there, a willing participant. The scary thing is, is that she worked at a school and was on one of Lake's videotapes describing how she fantasizes about 15-year-old girls and would like to see them raped. It is believed she lured girls from the school and neighborhood to their ranch for Lake and Eng to rape. Seized photos from the property show girls ranging in age from 12 to early 20s, naked, bound, and gagged. Young girls withering on the floor, humiliated in front of other male and female captives. This was believed to be the work of Cricket. However, the state of California knew they were going to be overwhelmed with this investigation, so they offered Cricket immunity for her cooperation. She never saw a day of prison. As for Ang, he ran off to Canada until once again he was arrested by authorities for shoplifting in 1985. It wouldn't be until 1991 when the Canadian Supreme Court would allow Ang to be extradited back to California to face his crimes. After years of legal haggling, his trial finally began in 1998, 
and in August of that year, he was found guilty for all but one of the 12 murders he was charged with. He is currently sitting on death row, but because the governor of California indefinitely placed a stay on execution for all death row inmates, Ang may never have his date with the needle. Oh, and that vice that Charles Ang tried to steal? He was taking that for a torture device. The cyanide pill. Uh, that's like some CIA stuff right there. there. Like, th- this guy was calculated that yeah. he's sewn it in his shirt. And it also shows that he had no intention of stopping, slowing down, running Ooh. from anything. He was going to do this until he got caught. Yep. Now, I will say, I promised in the earlier part of the episode that I am going to use the word pussy. And Leonard Lake is a fucking pussy. Good. Oh, that was in your notes. Yeah, that was ah, in my notes. Ah, there it is. Okay? There it is. Yeah, he's... Yeah, yeah, to take the fucking easy way out. Yep. You know, you you create all this fucking carnage, and, you know, you're such a fucking badass, and all this other kind of shit, and as soon as you fucking get caught, whoop, you slip the cyanide. Yep. You fucking pussy. He took, he followed uh, the Fuhrer, basically. To think that these people ended up having, basically, in a time before the internet, and red rooms, and the dark web, and all that stuff, where you, you everybody hears stories about, you know, can, you can go on the dark web and watch snuff films and all that weird shit. Yeah. But they, I mean, they, they were gathering people... Like, the police see that there's people off camera watching this. They're not participating. They're just watching. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, young girls. And and the fact that Cricket didn't spend a single day in jail for this right. is crazy. She was literally luring 15-year-old girls yeah. to the farm. Yeah, they felt... That, they, that is... That, right? Like, yeah. But how do you go on and live your life like a normal person in society at that after that? After you've already been involved in this? Like, there's no way that... Don't. that Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But... There's no way you just go back and not have those urges in. in. Right. I mean, we, we see it in other cases, too, like uh, uh, the Ken and Barbie killers. Yeah. You know, with uh, Carla Homolka. Mm-hmm. She probably would have never done her shit if she wasn't with. Well, she was clearly had a screw loose. No. she. Oh, yeah. She has and a screw loose. And I, Cricket has a screw loose. But. Yeah. I'm saying Cricket. But if you connect Cricket with Leonard Lake, they're both going to be fucking psychotic. Yes. But. But if you remove that dynamic. Because Cricket wasn't like, I mean, she was into BDSM. She liked being dominant. She liked, you know, getting into all this kind of shit. But she was never a fucking murderer. He was, you know the, I mean? he was the tipping part, but he, right. she enjoyed watching this. She stuff. did. She did. She, I mean, she, yeah. was, she was luring underage females to the farm. I don't care what you're, you are a full on accomplice at that point. Oh, no, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, that's, yeah. It's just sickening. And I, I know they have to, I know law enforcement has to wheel and deal to try to make sure they get convictions and, and justice for the people and all that stuff. But that, yeah, a lot of people died, but those, those 15-year-old girls that got lured there. Yeah. Where, gotta, where's yeah. their justice for the person that was working in their school? They sent those kids to school thinking that they were going to be safe. Right. And mm-hmm. somebody from the school was the reason why their ch- yeah. child is dead. And I'm not saying I agree I agree with that. I mean, yeah, I, no. she, she 100% should have done jail time. Like, probably the rest of her life. But at that point, you know, the, the fucking pussy fucking Leonard Lake. Yeah. You know, he offed himself. So now, who's their witness against Charles A? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't get them both to flip on each other. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can see it's a tough decision to make, but I, I can see why they made that decision. Oh, crazy. Crazy story. I was going to say I love how you ended the story, by the way. The vice that Charles oh. Yanks tried to steal. He was taking that for a torture device. Oosh. Sends a little chill down his yeah. right? Yep. It's like, thank God they fucking caught him. Yep. Thank fucking God, because who knows? Ugh. Couldn't imagine. 
All right, before we go, if you liked what you heard, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. And don't forget to become one of our amazing criminals on Patreon. Visit patreon.com backslash criminal AF where you can donate as little as $2 a month to help the podcast. Just visit patreon.com backslash criminal AF. Links to our support, socials, merchandise, and more in the episode description. And Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! We oh, 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 oh. on a hoe. And signing off from Studio Chloroform, keep your head on a swivel, and take care till next time. Now, now give me our theme music! <laughs>